Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome back to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler and this week we're talking about the industry's talent crisis and how our members in the Northwest in particular are feeling the pinch exacerbated by the global pandemic. To get the view on the ground, I talked to Manchester Mets Joe Bodley and Jeff McCarthy, who both lecture in digital marketing, as well as Ellie England, commercial director at Microsoft Advertising, who's also based in Manchester and part of the IAB's Northern Group. There's lots to unpick here, particularly how in a post-COVID world that doesn't demand you to be in the office five days a week, you can still effectively, in inverted commas, work in London with the weighted salary, with the opportunities that come with it, with the other benefits, but not have to live a commuter distance from the office. We also touch on Manchester Met's partnership with the IAB and how recruitment and retention policies are changing for the better. I started by asking Joe about why it's so hard for digital advertising businesses to find brilliant people and why, on the other side, it's so hard for brilliant grads to find jobs in the industry. Well, I think both myself and Jeff on the call, we've both got experience from working in industry. Mm. And there is a big thing around, you know, you're very busy. Often people have to rely on things like recruiters. And there just is that disconnect between the talent that's out there and the actual organisations. You know, you can't necessarily go into every university all the time to go and talk to students. And that's why we feel it's so important for us as, as lecturers who are previously practitioners and have those connections to get people in, get them doing things like guest lectures, get the students exposure to what real yeah. life roles yeah. can be rather than just being academic, but also creating those opportunities for them to be seen. Mm. So things like awards, things like those briefs, assignment briefs that are revolve around a client where they can show their thinking and show their talent are so important. And Jeff, I love the point on not just focusing on the academic side. I know from my own time, and I didn't, feels like a long time ago now when I studied, but the stuff often you're studying in books is sort of years old. I think when you come to digital advertising, which just feels like every day you wake up and there's something new. So would you agree that not just doing the academic bit, but the kind of the hands on here's what the industry actually looks like bit is really important? I think it's massively important. Um, yeah, because no textbook is ever going to keep up to date with mm. what's happening in the industry, particularly, you know, on the anything related to the digital side and it's our job and it's industry's job as well to like joe was saying you know come in and do guest lectures whenever we encourage anyone to come in and do a guest lecture what we also encourage them to do is talk a little bit about who they are what their career pathway has been you know and how they've got there like joe said a big plus of them doing that is that it raises awareness for the students of who that organization is Mm. what the job roles potentially are for organizations often offering like excellent opportunities but they might not be a name that the graduates would be familiar with or the students would be familiar with Mm. so a lot of employers come to us saying that they want to work closely with us and raise awareness on campus and some of what joe said before is that you know some of the key ways that we achieve that joe it's a good point and lots of iab members are you know, big household names. They're in front page of newspapers lots of the time. They're what people use. They're Snap, they're TikTok, Facebook, Google, Amazon. I mean, they're all very, very well known. But of course, there's a whole raft of our membership of ad tech companies, effectively the pipes that make digital advertising happen that, of course, 
you know, I had no idea who they were before you got into this world. So are the platforms, the news brands, the lad Bibles of this world, are they the ones that are really sought after? Or is there a sense that, you know, students understand there's a bit more to it and that they're sort of curious about the other things as well? I think there's always a draw for the big ones that they've Mm. heard of because it's the big name and for them they might have more of an idea about what that organisation does. But actually, and this is one of the really great things about getting things like live client briefs, like getting mentors in, like getting exposure to different kinds of guest lectures from different backgrounds, it gives them an idea of what's out there. And um, there is an element of you don't know what you don't know until you know that you don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> and what we try to do is give them a little flavor for mm. different career paths they might go down and maybe want to explore a little more, but also giving them those opportunities to do things like that. So, you know, whether it's additional certificates that they can go out and get, whether we can promote other kinds of programs that there might be that they might want to trial. And I know Jeff's Rise program and the work that he's been doing on that is really key in that that they can then try, you know, get the tools in their hands, have a little go at it without necessarily having to commit. And then they've got a clearer idea of what they might want to do in the future, or perhaps more importantly, what they definitely don't want to do. (laughs) It's sort of as important now, isn't it? Especially when you've got so much choice. Jeff, we obsess, I think, as an industry about trust. There was a big report from the Ad Association a couple of years ago where they look at consumer trust in advertising more generally and it's not happy reading and I think we're at the bottom of the Ipsos Mori survey which looks at professions and who's trusted the most and I think advertising executives were underneath estate agents and, and politicians so it feels like we have this issue with trust you only have to look at headlines and things like that to see maybe why consumers don't trust particularly when it comes to digital advertising is that a sort of a London media bubble thing or you know are we an attractive industry to the students that you come across? From my perspective and I think Joe's perspective, but clearly we're from that industry and we're trained in it. So (laughs) I'm not sure I'm the most objective person to answer that, but I have honestly never, ever heard any potential, you know, student stroke graduates who's going into Mm. the industry. I have never, ever heard them mention trust as a concern Mm. in terms of that as a career choice. And I've never heard it from any of the, if you like, committee meetings with the professional associations that I'm part of or on the board of. It's never really been discussed, but admittedly, you know, we are all part of that industry. I think there is an issue generally, you know, if you ask the general public type of thing about Mm. trust around advertising. And I think we as an industry could do a lot better job about explaining how we do what we do and how data is used and how data is not used as well. But I've never come across it as an issue for kind of attracting talent if anything we're starting to see within the university successes where we are doing some cross-faculty work which is why what joe did with yourselves in terms of making it available across the university brilliant same as we did with idea awards you know both of those were the first university completely to do that in both instances and what that results in is you basically get students in non-cognate disciplines like english or sociology Mm. or mathematics yeah who are suddenly realizing that actually this might be an industry for them because there's those skills are being cried out for so if anything i'd say almost the opposite seems to be happening yeah so it might be a bubble that you have more around london i don't know yeah i, I think you're probably right and I, I love the maths point it, there was a real shift in the industry a few years ago where mm. you know it felt like lots of the graduates were coming from 
the same universities doing the same courses and they unsurprisingly looked like everyone else in the industry and suddenly yeah. i think the rise of digital meant that analytics econometrics statistics you know people from different backgrounds particularly if you've studied in things like maths where you know maybe a natural home 10 years ago might not have been a media agency or something suddenly there's this kind of huge opportunity to go and work on some world-class brands doing amazing modeling for the likes of mcdonald's and nikes and all these sort of really exciting things so that's very good to hear joe tell me about diversity and varied backgrounds and where that sits in all of this and i guess it's an obvious question but why it's so important to get students from more diverse backgrounds, varied backgrounds into our industry? I think it's so important. I mean, there's been loads of reports and loads of discussions around the fact that we may have more of a lack of diversity Mm. within this industry and giving opportunities to students very early on to see what they could potentially be moving into as a career is really important because without that stepping stone, that's never going to change. It's going to end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy where we have the same roles and you know the same kind of candidates going into it. Mm. So I think it's super important that we are you know showing a whole roster of different jobs for different people who might be interested in those. And representation is really important. So we do consider that with things like guest lecturers mm. and making sure that you know, we are representing a broad range of different people. So people can see themselves in these kinds of positions. And so, you know, that could be things like guest lecturers, or if we do have somebody coming in who's giving a brief as part of an assignment, perhaps, or maybe it's just something like the mentors that we have. So we have quite a lot of alumni who come back and actually will mentor students, which is something that Jeff helped to set up as well. And it is really important. So they do know that they can go into this career and really thrive in it too. Let me ask you about the talent pool in Manchester. I remember us being at we used to a big conference in Manchester called Digital Britain. I remember us talking about that maybe three, four years ago. Just this this slightly smaller pocket of talent that you had in Manchester. Of course, we're kind of hopefully on the other side of a two year global pandemic now where effectively people have worked out that you can work flexibly so you can still have your job at your London agency or brand or whatever it might be but you could live somewhere else you could credibly live in Manchester but still be getting a London weighted wage so has that become a bigger problem for you this kind of shortage of talent this shrinking talent pool it hasn't in a way because the reverse is happening as well a lot of employers are telling us that they are now able to recruit from London, for example. And again, because of the flexibility in remote working, as well as obviously transport links anyway, that makes it a lot more feasible. So I think generally speaking, what I've been hearing from like industry partners more recently is there's more of an issue around retention of talent Mm -hmm. rather than recruitment of talent. So not seems to often come down to particularly with younger graduates is the organization representative of of their own values and you know if it isn't somewhere else may well be more attractive yeah so i think there's a lot of discussion starting to happen around that now thankfully there is a huge amount of talent out there and there's an ever-growing talent pool because the work that we're all doing together and it gets snapped up quite quickly and those that talent knows its worth as well you know, without sounding arrogant on their behalf, they appreciate that they are in demand. Yeah, 100%. And it feels like even with roles we're recruiting at the IB and sometimes quite specialist roles, you're absolutely right. That dynamic has changed, that old dynamic of, okay, you're going to come in for an interview and, you know, I'm going to be seeing lots of people and you're lucky if you get this job. It's sort of the balance is kind of tipped. 
And someone's probably sat in front of you and got three job offers already. And actually, they're the ones that will make the decision, not the employer, which is interesting. I also think that with this as well, it is about planning with the organisation. So we talked about the fact that some organisations are struggling to to find grads, to place grads. Well, actually, you know, working with their local Mm. talent source, aka us, (laughs) (laughs) and asking, you know, what opportunities are there to get involved? So we've had some really successful pairings with, you know, various different organisations organizations because what they didn't do was wait until they needed a grad within two weeks and then suddenly going quickly I need Mm -hmm. one but actually had a bit of forward thinking about these are the kinds of people we might need they'll come to myself or to Jeff or another member of the team and say look how can I get involved and as I said you know there's lots of different opportunities whether they just want the exposure so people know about their organization whether they actually want to work with students we even have a meet the employers kind of speed dating event (laughs) where they can meet lots of different (laughs) candidates and give a flavor of the kind of roles that they have and also get to meet a lot of the students face to face you know and that's completely free for them to get involved in but it's just that forward planning to make sure that they make best use of all these opportunities that we have because we're very keen to give that exposure to the students yeah that is where a lot of success has been achieved definitely the ones who get involved like earlier in the process they're the ones who are really seeing the benefits just as joe's outlined unquestionably yeah. And those long term partnerships. So, you know, mm. we'll then know they'll get in touch and say, Oh, you're doing that event next year or we can say, Oh, you know that you like doing that. Yeah. Would this be of interest? You know, and so it just it becomes a fruitful relationship for, for both of us and also the students. A question for you first, Joe, and then I'll come to you, Jeff. What inspires you about the students that you work with? And I guess, you know, you'll get a different cohort every year or there'll be new ones coming through. What inspires you and what do you think they bring that's perhaps different to the industry that we're in that perhaps you work and have worked in? I think in terms of inspiration, working with the students, it's just the fresh eyes. (laughs) So obviously, you know, I've had my kind of turn within industry (laughs) and, you know, we all have our own kind of way that we see things. Yeah. But actually having students and you're teaching things and they're asking questions or they're seeing things slightly differently or even just the way that they utilize different platforms and channels and they're talking to stuff, you know, and I'll say how I'm using something and they're blown away, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and there is that kind of. They, they are some you know a different generation they bring that fresh take mm. some of the things that they feel are super obvious might not be obvious to us and vice versa that's always an absolute pleasure to work mm. with and that's very inspiring i find what about you jeff same it's a real two-way process i think the things that really inspire me or the instances are where um you you can be working with a student who's the first in their family or even their street to go to university they have a lack of confidence because they question mm. are they worthy of being in university it really is genuinely amazing to see the realisation in them. It might be from a piece of work or just some an informal conversation you have after a session with them and almost a light bulb flicks on that, yeah, actually I have got something to offer. Or when they, they're scared about push, pushing themselves beyond the comfort zone but realise that when they do, they've got a lot more potential than they thought they had. And I think the other thing that really inspires me is the, like Joe mentioned the mentoring before, our community of graduates kind of thing, absolutely love people like them. So that's really inspiring and that can definitely help address the diversity issues you talked about earlier as well. Yeah. Mm, Yeah, I think the success stories, it's always, you know, that's a big thing. We've got into teaching because we love it and seeing, you know, having previous students come up to you and say, oh, I'm doing this Mm. or them reaching and getting in touch because they want to share a brief from their organisation and they're then filling a role that somebody, oh, it does, it it absolutely warms your heart. (laughs) (laughs) We love to see it. Thank you so much for your partnership. Thank you for 
you know making it bigger than just the kind of the business school or the people that are doing you know digital marketing i love the point that you make around you know these people can come into our industry from any point you don't exclusively have to do this type of course or be this type of person and we should talk to you further down the line like a year on because we need some examples we need some proper case studies of these people that have come through because of what we're doing together but joe jeff thank you so much for giving me some time this afternoon thanks james thank you tell me about the challenges you see in the northwest around recruitment what's changed i guess since the pandemic the pool of talent right in the north is smaller than in london right it always has been based frankly on population density and indeed the market right that's the way things are and i think there's always been a perception also that still hasn't really left us that london is the center of the universe and Mm. that it is a potentially career limiting move to live outside of london regardless of frankly if i think about manchester being one of the fastest growing digital and tech hubs in europe with its five billion pound digital ecosystem but you know on the positive side there's certainly a feeling that the pandemic has triggered a work-life balance rethink Mm. the ability to work from home for at least maybe part of that week whatever kind of is agreed has led some employees to move away from larger cities like Mm. london in search of space balance lower overheads the question is around why why commute at all thinking i work near my home and my work will also be local and talking of real estate also there's been a real spotlight on the city regions you know digital sector following the announcement for example of the digital culture media and sport hub making it the largest dcms presence outside of london Mm -hmm. which has recently come to manchester and i think that's part of you know government plans to level up regions across the uk so again that's a very positive signal as well however we can flip that yes there is that positive but there is a kind of a line of thought it's also exacerbated the situation right Mm. so you think a pre-pandemic like you've already said it wasn't possible to live say in the northwest and also work in london Mm. but now you know frankly if you contract with your employees that you only have to be in the office for maybe one or two of those days a week then frankly it is possible if you want to kind of live further away from that workplace and obviously that means employers in the north can feasibly take job offers in london which maybe there's implications for salary rating and therefore the competition is also heightened as well. Other things, you know, and this isn't just limited to kind of the Northwest, it's something very much symptomatic of the pandemic is, you know, and again, in keeping with flexible working, right, you know, life-changing events such as the pandemic will always give people cause to sort of stop and think about how you want to live your life, right? And Mm -hmm. for me, you know, this unbalance is a really good thing. I think personally, we do spend a hell of a lot of time at work taking a statistic that I heard in a fantastic presentation at Microsoft some weeks ago, but 8 billion people in the world, 5 billion are of working age, 3 billion of those want jobs, but only 1.3 billion actually have jobs. And of those 1.3 billion, only 13% are engaged in what they do. And you spend, as I say, so much time at work, you really should be enjoying what you do. I think the other thing is candidates also, be it in the Northwest, but all over the country, they have higher expectations around many things now. Yes, they want perks maybe the salary that we've talked about but also i think the pandemics made us as i say reflect and think about that sense of purpose maybe on a more kind of deeper almost existential level Mm. too so this theme of what expectations are and people have had time to really think about what Mm. those expectations are and you know think about kind of working live live to work you know kind of getting that balance right when again coming back to flexible working that can be a deal breaker there are different views of what hybrid working and flexibility means and sort of expectations for output and how people work Mm. 
I think it's good to kind of mention a study that we did at Microsoft and actually shows employees want more in-person time with teams, but they also want to keep that flexibility of remote work too. Yeah. The report shows ultimately, well, frankly, as we know, every person is different. Top findings, about 58% of employees who plan to spend the most and least time in office are doing it for the same reason, to be able to better focus on their work. Yeah. And this is the hybrid work paradox, right? Mm-hmm. You know, employees cite work-life balance, focus time and collaboration as reasons to go into the office, yeah, yeah, while yeah. others cite those same things as reasons to work from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the first time, frankly, we've ever had to work on this problem this business case this is the first time we've ever all found ourselves in this situation regardless of intentional work to get this right too there's always going to be inevitably that mismatch of expectations and job satisfaction so yeah the theme of flexible working hybrid working what that actually means what people now want from their jobs is something that you know is very much felt not only of course in the northwest Mm. but themes that i'm definitely hearing from our industry up here and what do you think about retention we talked a bit about recruitment and getting people and how people's expectations I guess if you go into a new job or you were furloughed and perhaps lost your job in the pandemic it does cause you to rethink but you know keeping hold of talent feels like it's getting harder as well for all the reasons you just mentioned. Yes, and yes, we've talked already about the great what resignation or the great reshuffle, mm. you know, the bigger questions asked around purpose, yeah. work-life balance, happiness, when faced with something like COVID, right? It's that good time to reset, press mm. pause, zoom out and make choices, right? And I think that's the thing, there are choices and the workplace needs to evolve and is evolving around kind of what people need and want, you know, they want different things. Is it a four-day week? Is it compressed hours? Is it mm. job sharing, life blending, unlimited holiday, being in choice about where and how they work to deliver on results. And I think in terms of retention, I do see companies responding to this and being seen to respond to it. You know, and I think what's really important is people are involving employees in discussions and decisions around hybrid working, because frankly, these approaches to that and flexible working are are strong indicators of workplace cultures. Job seekers will want to understand how your organization responded. People are watching, the market is watching, being seen to be collaborative rather than imposing preferences on teams, I think can only really enhance your employer brand as well. So when it comes to retention, just thinking about your response to hybrid and flexible working in this post-pandemic world and Mm. really bringing in your employees into those discussions and listening, because again, this is the first time we've ever really ever had to do this. What are the asks from some of your team in terms of around flexibility, around the shift to kind of working from home? What are the big questions that are coming up? to you with they do want guiding principles Mm. right but I think they want to be heard they want to be listened to and there has to be a recognition that everyone's situation is different I think you know broadly speaking and again I speak personally from my own experience the way we used to do things any anxiety around that isn't necessarily to do with kind of COVID and kind of having to I guess you know travel to work be in shared spaces that sort of thing it's just more around the things that people will have to I guess relinquish and rethink as a result of that you know be it being able to pick you know, their children up at 3pm when school finishes and then, you know, be able to return back online just to finish up the day or to, you know, enjoy that gym session at lunchtime just Mm. to kind of re-energise. And so this kind of work-like integration has really something. And I think that's the thing is it's all about kind of trying to make sensible trade-offs, trying to allow people to continue being productive and enjoy what they do, but at the same time, being able to align and recognise that obviously we do have business results to deliver and, and 
guess, just getting that balance. I think what I would say is one upside of the pandemic has been employees have had that increased visibility of their yeah. lives outside yeah, of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, greater insight into what support they need. Mm. So I think that would be my other thing around retention is to really encourage employees to never lose that connection, that conversation, and to continue to connect with their employees on that kind of deeper, more personal level and constantly exercise that empathy muscle. I think if the pandemic's taught us anything, it's to definitely kind of lead with empathy, listening and understanding there. Yeah. I think coming back to the retention question, one thing that struck me doing lots of interviewing recently <laughs> is all, all around values, right? Mm. And new candidates seeking value-driven companies and being able to make that kind of strong connection to values and purpose again is certainly very much on the rise particularly for a kind of younger generation of job seekers too giving back comes more pivotal in decision making green skilling sustainability investments this sort of thing is also questions that I get all the time around kind of Microsoft's response to that so certainly thinking about positioning your business for that post-covid role is all about the brand piece the values piece and having that strong story can often certainly draw and indeed retain talent too yeah Tell me a bit about you as a leader and your style. Do you think it's changed over the pandemic? Were you someone who was very open to flexible working before or is it? do you feel like you changed as a leader at all? It's a really good question. Yeah, I'm asking the wrong people. I should ask your team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Get some <laughs> feedback there. I think I have always tried to maintain a, mm. an empathetic leadership style, brought my people into conversations, that sort of thing. I think with me, I, I always had a, a strong urge mm. to really believe that a connection, productivity, kind of team building had to be very much, yeah. um, you know, in person. And yeah. I would, you know, encourage as far as possible people to be together, to speak together, to eat lunch together, just to have time together. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying for a minute I haven't missed that. In fact, I've missed it terribly. And <laughs> I, I've definitely seen the teams really respond and and want to kind of come back together but at the same time I definitely don't want to lose sight of the fact that my team has remained super productive Mm. really connected we've just had to kind of re-pivot and rethink about how we can do that you know and we've kind of managed for for the most part to kind of keep feeling of belonging and maintain those meaningful social interactions even though they can't really be in 3D (laughs) and I think you know this is another bit of advice that was given to me was as the world definitely opens up again it is really important to continue to invest in creating those meaningful social interactions for people to feel that sense of community again and ensure there is that feeling of of belonging it does create loyalty to teams organizations companies that potentially has you know been lost without that physical interaction and it's easy to kind of for people to sort of cut ties with employees and teams and that sort of thing and kind of think it's the right thing Mm. to move on I would say you know coming back to your original question it's not necessarily something I've I've felt in my team but I just want to I want to get that balance really is what I'm saying and plus you know I also have a young family too Mm. delights my four-year-old if I can pick him up from school (laughs) Um, if mum is there mum is not often there I'll be honest at 3pm but when I am and sort of seeing that joy that often is my kind of motivation to get into Friday to be able to do that and I know there are other parents on my team that certainly feel the same way too so we talk a bit about diversity I mean it feels like a very obvious question to ask if there are people listening to this podcast who are really struggling to understand that business case for why more diverse teams are brilliant why do you think it is important that as an industry we, we strive to try and make what we do more representative more inclusive there are so many reasons but i think you look i mean let's keep it factual to mm. begin with our world 
is rapidly becoming more and more increasingly diverse all the time. And there are so many layers and dimensions of diversity. Those layers and dimensions will only continue to expand. You know, I think remembering statistics, 55% and more probably now of London is multicultural. By the year 2055, a third of the whole of England will be. Mm. When I think specifically about the Northwest and Manchester, there's over 200 languages spoken in Manchester and that's on the rise. And I think if it's a true representation of all people, all ideas, perspectives and thinking, if that were really included in our workforce and in our projects, I think the question is how different would that world look? Mm -hmm. What would our output look like? Mm. You know, how much richer would knowledge sharing be? Would the conversation be? And I think to really truly harness the power of diversity in organisations, you absolutely have to create inclusive cultures, right? Mm. There is absolutely no point whatsoever in having all different voices present. We're, We're kind of doing well on the diversity front if there is absolutely no mechanism to ensure those voices yeah, you know right. are heard too so i think it's all about kind of responding frankly to our world which is becoming rapidly increasingly more diverse mm-hmm. and thinking about representation look and representation matters right it is definitely key to attracting diverse talent yeah. from my own experience and even interviewing candidates too if people don't see people like them in companies in the industry at large they are much less likely to apply for roles right that's a fact you know I've heard anecdotally time and time again you know if they don't see people like them in senior positions then Mm -hmm. why would people dream people do need role models Mm -hmm. you know through mentor schemes I know universities in the northwest are very very good and have very successful mentor schemes they've been super valuable in getting for example ex-alumni to come back and talk about roles and that sort of thing to kind of really attract and inspire their students. I think also companies, they have to be seen to be accountable for their diversity efforts too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Frankly, businesses do pay a lot of well, lip service, right? Mm-hmm. To the idea of DI yeah. being top of the agenda, and that's fine. But I think when I'm asked often why I stay at Microsoft, you know, I think Microsoft not only talks a talk, but it definitely walks a walk. You know, I know Microsoft, amongst other businesses, it releases their reports each year, which shows sustained progress as for representation in its workforce. It does a lot to sort of design inclusive and equitable opportunities that support and accelerate a diverse and inclusive workforce again. And that also involves deliberate work done to improve our inclusive hiring efforts too. But it's also, I think, about activating and infusing that inclusion into the everyday employee experience. Mm-hmm. And I think what I mean by that is I think it's important that we all think about what we can all do, no matter what level. Mm. No matter what discipline, no matter what role, to continue striving to make progress in this area. Because if we don't, coming back to the original question, you know, we simply miss out on what inclusive and diverse cultures drive from an innovation perspective, from an inclusive design perspective, and that ability to create an authentic connection with communities that represent our increasingly diverse world and to sort of really execute inclusive marketing that indeed represents our world too. So frankly, it is very good for business as well. Joe Bodley and Jeff McCarthy from Manchester Met University and Microsoft Advertising's Ellie England there. We have a thriving Northern group at the IOB, there for members that are based outside of London. It's a brilliantly diverse group of people who we bring together regularly. So if you'd like to be part of that group, just go to iabuk.com, tap on our members at the top of the screen, and you'll find all the details, not just of the Northern group, but of all the industry groups on offer. That's it for this week. Loads more brilliant guests coming in April.
life. But for now, thanks very much for listening. IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising.